You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor George Willis, which is from the sermon series, Who is Jesus? For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, Turn to your neighbor and wish them a very good morning as well, if you haven't already. Oh, that would have been bad. Funny, but bad. Uh, Hey, I want to welcome everyone watching online. Thanks for joining us. We have a number of people. Wiley, I know you're watching from a boat and you're fishing. Uh, I'm expecting some halibut. And then... Eve, watching from Tennessee, want to say good morning to you. Uh, Issa, Monique, watching from all the way in her office. So uh, you want to say hi? Oh, no, she's back there. Yeah. I, well, last week it was Josh watching all the way or commenting all the way from the sound wall. Um, who else? It's Steve Peacock, you're watching, probably lounging in some chair by a pool. Um, what is the deal? I'm I'm just going off who I see chat online. So this is good because now you guys are in-house talking to those online. Can we make some noise to let them know we love them? Come on. And while we got the applause going, here's what I want to do. I want to say thank you to every single person that showed up yesterday. Uh, The heart that you have for this house was evident and uh, it, it looks awesome. Uh, we spent a number of hours working, cleaning, beautifying. Matter of fact, the, the church that shares our property on Sunday, I, they changed their name, so I can't remember what their name is now. The, the uh, Hispanic church, it was Bridge of Faith, wasn't it? Is it? Or is it Bridge of Faith now? Come on, someone help me. What is it? Anyway, we had a ton of people here, and uh, the, I, I, I'm super grateful, super thankful. I know you're not doing it for us on the staff. You're doing it for the Lord because it's his house, but nonetheless, we are so thankful that you showed up yesterday. Can we give all those who served a big hand? Thank you. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're here for the second week of this message series called Who is Jesus? Where we're allowing Jesus himself to answer uh, that very question. And if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. Whether it's digital or if, uh, if you brought your paper Bible, the actual, raise it up high. Wiggle it. Make some noise with it. That's a bulletin, Kirker. I can't see that far with these lights, but I... John chapter 8, uh, we're, having this, we're having Jesus himself in his own words tell us who he is. Last week we talked about Jesus being the true vine. Uh, Easter weekend, uh, we're going to talk about Jesus uh, as the resurrection. Not, it, it's a person, not an event. The resurrection in life. We're, we are also having baptisms. Baptisms and barbecue. Oh, yeah. 
I'm so looking forward to that. But we have baptisms on Easter weekend, and, and no better time to represent new life and identifying ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Then on Easter weekend, when we celebrate the very thing that our faith is built upon, the resurrection of Jesus. And if you haven't been baptized or you're baptized as a kid or, you know, you're feeling like the, 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 the Lord is nudging you to do it again, good news. Or even if you're just kind of, if you have questions about it, I want to encourage you. Or I'm going to get a little biblical and follow the, the, the model of the Apostle Paul. I want to beseech you. You like that? To join our baptism orientation right after service, 15 minutes, and we're going to walk you through everything that baptism is. So uh, if you haven't been baptized, you've been considering being baptized, jump in on the baptism orientation right after service. You will be glad you did. So baptism. Next week, we're going to be talking about Jesus as the good shepherd. It says this in John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the, say it with me, good shepherd. Wrong verse. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Today, we're going to look at one of the most inspirational, life-changing I am statements that Jesus made out of all seven. It's found in John chapter 8, and I'm going to invite all of you to read it with me. It's already up there. Now it's gone, but it'll be back. <laughs> Let's read it together. It says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you follow Jesus, you will never walk in darkness. That's good because if, if you're like me, you think darkness is scary. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Who was afraid of the dark as a kid? Raise your hand. Don't, don't be like, try to man up on this one. I'm raising my hand. Most of us at some point were afraid of the dark. I mean, some of us as an adult, we're still afraid of the dark, if we're being honest, right? I mean, I, we, throughout our house, we, Kristen and I, have night lights. And they're not just, you know, the old school one bulb that throws off kind of a dim yellow hue light. They are bright sunlight night lights. They light up our hallway. They light up our living room. They light up our kitchen. We have these nightlights all over the place. As a matter of fact, when Kristen would travel and take trips and she would be gone, I, I, I get a little concerned about the, the darkness in our house. Uh, I, what, and I feel bad, Munch, if you're listening. Uh, she doesn't know this, but I would typically, if, I would lock my bedroom door if my wife was gone. I would shut my door and I would lock it, not to keep my, my, my daughter out of my room, but I was kind of scared of the boogeyman. And, well, yeah. <laughs> Those online who didn't hear that, which you probably didn't, my wife asked me if I was going to let the boogeyman get my daughter. And I never thought that far through it. But when she goes on, I shut my door and I lock it because the boogeyman's real, y'all. And But here's the deal. We know this, that a little bit of light changes everything, doesn't it? A little bit of light changes everything. Put a little light in a, in a dark room and all of a sudden the darkness doesn't seem as dark. I was talking to someone yesterday, one of our neighbors, they had a 
uh, hot dog kind of, we were grilling hot dogs over a fire pit in their backyard last night. And uh, I was talking about backpacking, Desolation Wilderness. I've done that in my early years. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Desolation Wilderness. It's just a lot of granite, a lot of hiking hills, and a lot of little lakes. But it's pitch black out there. And there's wildlife out there. And it gets kind of freaky out there when you're sleeping on a foam mattress in a sleeping bag with nothing protecting you. And you hear things wrestling around in the bushes in the dark. And it, but when you light a fire, man, there's comfort in that fire. When you have that little bit of light, little bit of heat, and you know that the bears don't like fire. So, it, you know, light changes everything. A little light in a dark room doesn't make the dark or darkness as scary. And all through scripture, we see this contrast, this light, this darkness. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. You guys are smart. God himself is called light. And Satan, our enemy, he's called the prince of overachiever. I heard that. He's called the prince of darkness. Jesus even used this contra uh, contrast with Saul, who eventually became Paul. He said this in Acts 26. He said, yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from what? Darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And, and, and here we have Jesus making this life-changing statement where he's saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's amazing. It's amazing. If you've grown up in around the church, you may have heard that statement before. And we talk a lot about it at Christmas time when we light the candles and sing Silent Night. He is the light of the world. But most people may not know the context in which he made this very statement. It came after one of the most grace-filled, absolutely probably the most grace-filled or grace-filled stories in the Bible. And some of you may be familiar with this story. It's the story of the woman caught in adultery. She was caught in adultery right before he made the I am the light of the world statement. And today we're going to break down this story that leads into this life-changing statement. I want to look at the book of John, three different parts to make it easy to, to digest. And, and, and really what I want to talk about is the law. Say the law. Thank you, babe. Talk about the law. Say the law. The love, the light. Pretty awesome, isn't it? And I want to kick it off with looking into the law. What does the law reveal? It reveals this. The law reveals our guilt. The law reveals our guilt. Watch as, it, as this is revealed in the story. It says this in verse 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, 
This woman was caught in the act of adultery. So let's think about this for a moment. Somehow a Pharisee or maybe multiple Pharisees, you know, the self-righteous legalistic men in the time of Jesus caught a couple in the act. I have no idea how that happened. It doesn't say kind of weird if you ask me. They caught a couple in the act. And then what did they do? They dragged the woman out. They dragged her out. And notice that the dude wasn't being held accountable in this situation. <laughs> I'm preaching to somebody today. Yes. <laughs> but they dragged this woman out who is absolutely guilty. I mean, we're just going to call it what it is. What she's doing is wrong. It's sinful. They drag her out, most likely naked, partially clothed, maybe in a sheet. But they don't just drag her out. They drag her out into a public place. And they humiliate this woman beyond belief, beyond description. And, and I, I can't help but to think, without a doubt, this had to be the most darkest, shameful, humiliating moment of her life. They asked Jesus, should we stone her? And in John 8, verse 5, it says, in the law... Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? See, they were using this question to trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. They wanted to catch Jesus and to trap him. Now, what they were saying was true. That was the law. According to the law of Moses, adultery equals stoning to death. I mean, she's guilty. She's absolutely guilty. And, and that's what would have taken place. To the Jew, I mean, that adultery is like one of the top three worst sins. I mean, we're, it's kind of a pickle here. Jesus, you know, what do you say about this? You know the law, but what do you say about this, trying to trap him? Because if Jesus agreed, he loses his reputation of, of being loving and forgiving. But if Jesus forgives her, he's condoning adultery and he's breaking the law of Moses. You see the pickle? Trying to trap him, trying to catch him and to corner him, to discredit him in front of all these people. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. It's funny to me, little side note, it didn't, they didn't seem to care too much for the woman. They were trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus is going to, in the midst of this, Jesus is going to do something so significant. But before we look at that, I don't want us to miss the point that the law, the law reveals our guilt. And I think in our world today that, you know, people don't like to admit their guilt. People don't want to be wrong. There are some people 
that think saying something is wrong is wrong, and I think that's wrong. In our world today, people don't like to admit their guilt. If we're being honest, that, that's all of us. We don't want to be wrong. A point I make often is one of the, the most contentious and contested of them all. It's, it's when people say, hey, we are all good people. Have you heard that? We're all good. We're all good people. Wait a minute. Hey, listen, PG, I'm a good person. You know, we're all good people. She's a good person. And here's what I want you to understand. And this may be hard for some of us to hear. In the eyes of God. In the eyes of who? God. We are not good people. We are sinful people. We're tremendously sinful in the eyes of God. And the law absolutely reveals our guilt. Let me illustrate it. I want to go through a few of the Ten Commandments with you. Can we do that? Are you guys all familiar with the Ten Commandments? All right, some of them, we know. Okay. And I want you to admit, let's be real here. Let's, let's, let's you know, set aside our shame. Set aside our, let's be real. And let's be honest. We're in church. God's here. Can't hide any from him, anything from him. Ten Commandments to make sure you know how sinful we actually are. And, and we're going to publicly admit how, how sinful we are. How many of you ever have told a lie? White lies count. Okay. How many of you have ever taken a Creekside pin home? Let me put it, yeah. <laughs> How many of you guys have ever stolen something? Creekside pin. How many, how many of you ever lusted? Let's be honest. We're just keeping it real, y'all. How many of you have ever cheated on something? Taxes. A test. Uno. Monopoly. Now we're getting real. Okay? So let's break it down and call it what it is. If you told a lie, you are a liar. Doesn't matter if it's a white lie, a legit lie, a little lie. We're a liar. If you ever stolen something, you are a thief. Who said stealer? If you ever cheated on something, you are a cheater. If you ever lusted, this may, you're not a lusterer. The Bible says you're an adulterer if you lusted, because it's just not the act of. You're an adulterer. In other words, you're a lying, thieving, cheating adulterer. Welcome to Creekside Church. We only preach the feel-good messages. 
to help you figure out who you really are. So why is this important? Why is this important? And I heard it put this way. Unless you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a savior. Unless we see ourselves as sinners, we won't see our, our need for a savior. The law reveals our guilt. The law says this woman is guilty and we are guilty, but the good news is it doesn't stop at the law. Can I get an amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it doesn't stop at the law. Because the love reveals God's grace. We see this through Jesus in verse 6. Remember, they are trying to trick Jesus and they're trying to trap him. And verse 6 says, but Jesus bent down and started to write something on the ground. He started to write on the ground with his finger. And they're standing there going, hey, listen, dude, should we stone her or not? And Jesus ignores them, and he just continues to write. He doesn't answer their question, just kneels down and begins to scribble something in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. Um, We don't know it. We're not sure, but some scholars believe that it's possible that he was writing down the sins of every person standing there. And it goes on in verse 7. It says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is what? Without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. The translation of this isn't just referring to those who are, you know, legitimately or without sin, but also those who are without even a desire to sin or those who aren't, are, are wanting to sin. Not just focusing on the outward behavior, but also he's focusing on the inward heart. Let you be the one to throw the first stone. In other words, hey, any of you who never done anything wrong or wanted to do anything wrong, you pick up a rock because you have the right to throw it at her. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus is doing something really important. These judgmental, arrogant dudes who have the same problem as you and I, if we're just being honest, it's incredibly easy to see others' sins while we're overlooking our own sins as we look in the mirror. It's so easy. I mean, have you ever noticed that? We're quick to call out other people's shortcomings but we're slow to call out our own. It's so easy to pick other people apart. And Jesus gets very serious in verse eight. He says, again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? I mean, just look at his grace in this moment. 
She says, no one, sir. And then he said, neither do I condemn you. I know that there's somebody here, there's somebody watching online today who is dealing with some darkness and and, and possibly some shame in their life for things they've done, some decisions that they've made. Maybe the way you treated somebody. Maybe you're dealing with some agony over what you did or who they think you are, whoever they are. I don't know who you are today, but you need to know that when you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who put their trust in him. His grace changes everything. His grace changes everything. And by God's grace, you are not what you did. You are not defined by what you have done. You are not defined by what others say you are. You are who he says you are. Don't forget, though, in Revelation 12, there's this dude. He's a bad guy. You may know him as the devil, Satan, but one of his names is the accuser. And, and what he does is he throws and hurls insults and accusations at you. And, and you, know, you know what it sounds like. You've heard these phrases before. You know, you've had, you know, an addiction to pornography for how long? Pfft, you'll never be. How can, God can never use you. God can never love you for what you've done. How you treated everybody, what you said to that, how how can you call yourself a Christ follower? We've all heard that, haven't we? No one's gonna ever love you. God can never love you. See, that's the voice of the accuser. That's the voice of our enemy, not the Savior. The Savior says, I am the light. I am the light of the world. I have overcome the darkness, and whoever uh, follows me will never walk in darkness. That's what the light says. That's what our Savior says. And, if, if, and here, if you're taking notes, write this down. Whenever Satan reminds you of your past, remind the devil of his future. Right? Because darkness never defeats light. It just doesn't happen. It will not happen. Was this woman guilty? Everyone say yes. Yes. She was absolutely. Did she deserve punishment? Everyone say yes. Yes. But because of his love and his grace and his revelation of that, she experienced something that I know that you and I have experienced before, but not on that scale. I remember, uh, uh, I think last year, a year and a half ago, I can't remember. My daughter and I were on a date night. And when we go on date night, there was this span of time where we went to Chick-fil-A every week. Every week since it's been open in Walnut Creek. And um, this one particular date night, uh, we were coming out and we were going to go down 
downtown to uh, Walnut Creek. And to do that, you make a left out of Chick-fil-A. Well, lo and behold, unbeknownst to me, they put a no left turn sign out there. Not where you can see it. Not where you would normally be looking. It was kind of off to the side. And what did I do? What I did every time. I made a left-hand turn out of there. I got lit up. I got a ticket for making a left-hand turn where it said, do not make a left-hand turn. It was right-hand only. I'm like, great. I said, listen, officer, uh, I didn't see the sign. He's all, it's right there. And it was like behind us. So I got the ticket. And I said, I'm going to go contest this. So I went, I went to the court date, and uh, it was a couple months later. And I'm, I, they called my name, which is already humiliating enough. I mean, for an introvert, I, I don't want to be around a lot of people that I don't know. And the fact that I'm kind of fuming that I got this ticket for a sign that was behind me when I pulled up t- anyway, w- wasn't digging it. Let's just say that. They called my name, and the officer was up there, and I stood at the other, and the uh, judge begins to ask me, you know, I, I can't remember how they officially do it, but, uh, you know, how do you plead? And before I can get a word out, the officer said, uh, Judge so-and-so, uh, the uh, Walnut Creek Police Department, or whatever he said, would like to drop the case against Mr. Willis, um, you know, and... There was no, I, I don't know the legalese terms that they use, but basically he said, we're not going to charge him. He doesn't have to pay the ticket. Uh, it, it's all good. And I said, oh. just that feeling. Like out of the blue, what, the grace of God that I didn't have to pay that ticket. I know it doesn't compare to adultery or being drug out, but we all know that feeling. We all know that feeling. When you're guilty, and we are incredibly guilty, we're sinfully guilty in the eyes of God. But until we see ourselves as sinners, and then we'll never be able to see our need for a Savior and experience that grace that only comes through Jesus. Jesus looks on this shameful, guilty woman after all the accusers have walked away, and he said, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. It's an incredible amount of grace. And what did he say next? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus didn't say. He, he didn't say, okay, now that you're forgiven, go and try your very best not to sin anymore. He didn't say that. He didn't go, now that you're forgiven, go and, and, and do your absolute best to try not to to sleep with someone else's husband. Or he didn't say, hey, I understand it's just the way you are. I mean, how many of us have ever done that? Yeah, I'm, you know, I say, I say what's on my mind. It's just who I am. It's how God made me. I just speak my mind. Jesus didn't say that. Or he didn't say, hey, I get it. Your daddy didn't love you. You have daddy issues. 
You know, your whole life you'd been searching for love from men. I get it. I totally understand why you're doing it. In the same way, he doesn't do that with our own darkness. He doesn't say, hey, man, I I totally forgive you for checking out that porn site and lusting for whoever. I realize you, you most likely will do it again because, hey, you're a dude, and that's what dudes do. Plus, you're over-inundated with, you know, emails and, and, and web ads that, you know, tempt you to click on everything. You know, guys have needs. I get it. He doesn't go, so try your best not to, to do it very often. What do you say? Deal? This is not how Jesus works. In the same, it's, it's the same, with, same way uh, with overeating. Gluttony is a sin. Overspending. It's the same way with gossip. Gossip. Because ultimately, what, what do we do? We feel better, right, by tearing other people down. What, what, what does Jesus do with this woman? What does he do? It's, it's the same thing he does with you and I. He says in verse 11, Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. You, you can, there's a sense of urgency to this. Go now and leave your life of sin. Not, he's saying now, not Later, he's saying, now you can be free. Now, not you could be, uh, you, you can uh, not be trapped in this darkness anymore. You can leave it right now and and leave your life of sin right now. That same voice that spoke to her is speaking to some of you right now. Go now, you can be free. Walk out now of whatever life of sin that you have, whether it's lust, shame, condemnation of others, your past. You don't have to live trapped in darkness anymore because the light of the world is on the scene. Whenever the light shows up, the darkness flees. Light always overtakes darkness. He's saying, go now. Go now and leave your life of sin. So we see that the law reveals our guilt. The love reveals God's grace. And the light reveals our hope. Our hope in Jesus. Watch this. In the previous verse 11, Jesus says, go now and leave the the life of sin. And and to some of us, we may feel like Jesus is being a little preachy here to this woman. Right? Go now and leave your life of sin. And it sounds like he's preaching. Hey, knock it off. Don't do it anymore. I forgave you. Stop it. See, it wasn't that at all. The next verse, he's encouraging her. 
And this is full of hope. And he's saying you don't have to hurt anymore. You don't have to live in shame anymore. You, you, you don't have to live in this self-condemnation of your bad decisions anymore. You can be different. Go now. Walk out of that way and into this new life now. Don't wait until you got all of your junk cleaned up and in order. Go now. Do it now. And in verse 12, it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am what? Read it with me. The light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus looked at her and he said, neither do I condemn you. At that very moment, not just, he didn't become just the light of the world. He became the light of her world. And today, in this very same way, in the grace and in the presence of our very good and loving God, who is the light, as you personalize this message to you, he's no longer just the light of the world. My hope and prayer is that you realize that he is the hope and he becomes the hope and the light of your world. Your world. And when he does this, listen, friends, it changes everything. It changes everything because darkness never defeats light. Listen, there, there's not enough darkness. I know it feels like it, but there's not, a, not enough darkness in this world to put out even the smallest flame of the smallest candle because darkness never defeats light. And when you understand this and you believe it, it becomes super personal. He is not like this out there, God, far and distant. He becomes your God and, and he is your personal light. And you know, what, you know what there is in light? There is freedom in the light, freedom. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's freedom in the light. Freedom from all of the condemning voices of the world. The voice of our enemy, Satan, who says, you can't and you won't and you never will be. All of those voices are silenced in the presence of God's amazing grace. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. It says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Who can use a little bit more life? A little bit more light. Listen, the law reveals our guilt because we are absolutely guilty. The love, his love, reveals God's grace. And his light reveals 
our hope. No matter how dark it seems right now in your life, with everything going on in this world, maybe whatever's going on in your home, maybe in your relationship, maybe in your job, I don't know. You know better than I do, but God knows even more. Whatever's going on in your life, however dark it seems, know that he is the light. And at, that, at this moment, his light can illuminate your darkness. His grace can forgive. His presence can bring healing. And you are never the same again. Can I get an amen on that one? And here's my prayer. And this is what I want to leave you with uh, uh, to pray about yourself because this is your time to reflect and, and have a moment with God today. Many of you today, you're dealing with a dark world right now. We're going to pray for you. Maybe some of us are into something we shouldn't be into. Maybe some of you are dealing with something from your past that's still affecting you today and you can't shake it. The guilt's there, the resentment's there. Maybe some of us feel ashamed and we're dealing with condemnation of decisions that we've made. Maybe gossip hits you. And you just need to be reminded that you, you, you are not who they say you are. You are who he, who God says you are. Some of you are in a dark place where you just need some hope. You just need some hope. And a little light gives a lot of hope, doesn't it? Do you need his light? Do you need his presence? Do you need his hope? Do you need his love? Do you need his grace? Are you standing here saying, I need more of Jesus in my life? I need more of Jesus. If that's you, can you just raise your hand as a physical representation of saying, Jesus, I need more of your light in my life. I need more of your hope that only you bring. I need more of your peace, that, that true peace that can only come from God. If that's you, Father, I, I acknowledge those who are lifting their hands right now. And I even acknowledge those who need this, acknowledge that, but for some reason are too embarrassed to raise their hand. Father, we need more of you in our life. We thank you for Jesus going to the cross, dying on the cross for what we rightfully deserve because of the grace, because of your grace through Jesus that we can have hope, Father, that we can have this new life. And Father, I pray, I pray for everyone raising their hands, wherever they may be, whatever they're dealing with, gossip, a dark place, something they can't shake, that you will remove that in the name of Jesus and we will experience new life because of his work on the cross. And church, if you agree with me and believe that with me, say amen. Amen. We're going to continue to pray for you, and we're going to continue with the heart of worship as Jake and the team leads us, and we declare, we declare, we declare. You know what? I'm almost tempted to go full-on Pentecostal this morning. <laughs> <laughs>
And, and, and see, those watching online, you got to be here to experience this. If you're able, I understand. But we're about to sing, come to the altar. And I am so tempted to say, you know, we, we, we got an altar here. And some of us need to kind of step out of our comfort zone because we're going, God, I want to experience you in a new way. But we need to be willing to take steps we've never taken before to experience God in a new way. I don't know if, I, I, I'm not saying I'm going to ask you to do that. Oh, man. I don't. <laughs> Where's my leadership? Do we have any prayer warriors in the house? I got Greg. Kent's working sound. He can't do that. I got Michael. I got Jeff. We're, we're about to have a God moment here. Come, come up here. Come up here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of line out, line out this way. We got Adele. You want to be prayed for by Adele. She is super close to God. Here's what we're going to do. Whether you raised your hand or you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to invite you as we sing, Oh, what a Savior. And we sing the song, Come to the Altar. We're going to put action behind our words. And every single one of us, if we're being honest, we need prayer. We need covering all up in this place. Because the enemy wants to devour you. Satan wants to mess you up. And we're gonna, I, I want to invite you forward as we sing this with a heart of worship. And I want you to come up and we're just going to pray over you. You don't have to say what it is. You don't have to it, it not, just come up and, and these wonderful saints in God's kingdom will just lay a hand on you if you're comfortable. And we're going to pray over you. Can we do that and make that our closing time today? Let's do some spiritual warfare today. Let's leave here differently than the way we came in. Can we do that? Let's sing. Let's pray. Come on forward, guys. Come to the altar.